Oh my, are we in trouble? Are we in trouble, guys? Um, we got to talk about this. Uh, so if you're just joining us, we're talking about wealth and money in our uh, super study of the book of Proverbs here, part two. We've gotten to the portion of Proverbs where uh, all contextual uh, guardrails have fallen off and we're just in this uh, very eclectic portion of Proverbs that's going to take us really to basically the end of the book. So we've shifted gears and we're studying things topically rather than chronologically, and uh, we found ourselves talking about wealth and money, introduced that last time. Uh, but here's why we're in trouble. Check this out. Uh, healthcare costs have increased uh, 34% over the last decade. Obviously, that's an average, so uh, for some people, it's astronomically more than that. Uh, food prices have increased 22% over the last decade, uh, and that doesn't take into account those of us that have growing teenagers, too, in the home. So... Um, and then income levels only rose about 20%, again, on average. And uh, so that's just sort of economic data uh, going into this topic that we uh, need to look at today. But, but check this out. Average credit card debt. You take the average American that has a credit card. He's got a $15,564 balance on that credit card, or credit cards is often the case. The average credit card interest, this blows me away. The average credit card interest rate, somewhere between 16 and 21%. Obviously, some that are much higher than that, some are lower. That's average. So if you, if, if you go do man on the street down at the Granbury Square, say, give me your wallet. And they're like, is this a stick up? No, no, no. I just want to see what credit cards you have. Okay, and so they, they get the credit cards out and you say, what is the interest rate? You, that, that's the interest rate of the average card of the average American. Average interest paid on credit cards annually is about $904. Uh, of Americans that have an auto loan, okay, go down to the street. Do you have an auto loan? Why, yes, I do. What's the average number you're going to get for the balance? $27,669. Now, I mentioned student loans last time, and the data I gave you was a little bit older, so I did some more, uh, like, Research that was done literally three months ago. Um, some of this, most of this is from NerdWallet. Any of you guys use NerdWallet? Okay, well, never mind then, so we'll move on. Um, they, they actually have some really, really good uh, uh, statistics and whatnot if, if, you're, if you're interested in this sort of thing. Um, so average student loan. Again, man on the street, do you have a student loan? Yes, I do. What's the average American's balance? $46,597. It's gone down a little bit because people that graduated in 2016 graduated with only $37,172. So maybe that they get married and they consolidate or something like that. But regardless, um, that's a lot of debt. That's a lot of debt. And, and you, know, you think about somebody that graduates with an English degree. And they've got... in debt, and you're going, how are you going to pay that back? And and, uh, so even what our students are studying um, in terms of what sort of job or what sort of career are they going to have? And and I think think as those of us that are parents that have kids that are getting ready to move out of the home and whatnot, that's that's a big thing, isn't it? That's a big thing we need to think about. Uh, so you see why we're in trouble? How about this financial facts, less than 30% of credit card holders pay off the entire balance each month. 
carrying a balance. Families that spend on credit cards will spend 30 to 40% more than if they only paid cash. This is kind of interesting. If you go shopping with a friend, you spend 10% more. With children, 12% more. And if you take your husband, 20% more. That's true. Oh, okay. All right. So, ladies, if you need to go shopping and you need a chaperone, Jack Wortman would be a great... Uh, no. Um, so, um, and I, uh, I read a... St- I, I don't have any numbers to back this up, but it's generally true. Um, women tend to go into debt in little chunks. Men do it with big purchases. Um, and then, interesting enough, 85% of divorces have something to do with money. Okay, you see why we're in trouble. Um, and I wish that this was only true for those guys outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the, the gospel uh, uh, family, uh, but it's not. Uh, this is a problem in our churches uh, with believers. And um, so we, we need to huddle up for a couple reasons. We need to huddle up, first of all, because uh, we, well, one of my mentors put it like this, we cannot be free to give and to minister the way God desires if we are financially bound in some of these very foolish ways. And I thought, that's a really good principle. That's a really good principle. There may be things that God wants us to do in ministry and giving and service, and we can't do that because we've made foolish financial decisions and that has locked us into certain obligations that now we can't go and do uh, perhaps what God would want us to do in that moment. Um, so let's, uh, let's huddle up here and let's listen to the inspired and errant word of God as it relates to finances. And uh, we kind of introduced this topic last time and uh, with some perspectives. And what I want to do is, uh, for the rest of our little mini-study here, is to talk about some principles, some principles that come out of the book of Proverbs that relate to our finances and to money. And um, again, most of these are not going to be new, but... This is one of those topics, I know for me, I have to, I have to reset on this regularly and just, okay, this is where we need to be. Uh, so turn in Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 3. Let's start in Proverbs chapter 3 and um, let's glean some principles here to address our finances. You know, the other reason we need, we need to do this is um, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that our light should shine in such a way that people would see the good works of believers and glorify their Father who is in heaven. And when we engage in the same foolish, um, harmful financial decisions that the world would do, what does that do? It, It diminishes our gospel light, doesn't it? It makes us ineffective in gospel ministry in terms of an example because they say, oh, well, you, you're, you're just like us in that way. Um, so we, we need to, we really do need to huddle up and, and set our hearts afresh on these truths so that we can honor God. Uh, the first principle Proverbs gives us, it's right out of the gate in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, is we need to give to God first. Give to God first. I, th- I think this is really the first verse that we see in the Proverbs that relates to specifically to wealth and finances. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. 
So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Um, Now, we talked last time about a principle that leads into this. And the principle we talked about last time is that God owns everything. And the, the, the metaphor that the Bible gives us to think about finances and money and, and even things like our gifts and talents and abilities, that there's a metaphor. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 says that, um, well, it, it introduces that and there's a parable that goes with it. But what's the metaphor? What's the big metaphor that the Bible gives in terms of how we should think about our finances since God owns everything? What's that? Stewardship, yes. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 4, it, is, it, it, is, it ought, how does it go? <laughs> oh, man, hold, hold that thought. I'm having a Sunday morning brain freeze, so um, that's not good if you're a pastor. So, yeah, so let a man regard us at, in this manner as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy, Okay. You say, well, that's, that's talking about the gospel. That's not talking about money. That's true. That's absolutely true. He's not talking about finances there. He's talking about the fact that we've been entrusted with the gospel. Okay? And that's definitely the priority. But stewardship is one of the main ways God speaks to us about our responsibilities, about our duties, about our gifts and talents. And so our finances are just one extension of this call to be good stewards. And notice, looking again at Proverbs chapter 3, we honor the Lord from our wealth and from the first of all our produce. What does that mean? Okay, so could, could someone explain that? in their own, if, if it's so intuitive to you, you're like, why are you even asking the question? Uh, would someone explain it in their own words, please? Just, okay, your tithe check first, okay. Someone else? Okay, so by honoring the Lord, it's not just a priority, but in, in the manner in which we use our money in a way that's consistent with uh, with God's principles. Okay, I like that. That's good. Yeah. We actually do what we do for the Lord. Uh-huh. Okay, all right. So the fact of giving, and we could even go back to some of the Old Testament rules where you know you weren't supposed to, you know, trim the edges of your property, and you left it for the poor to come and pick the fruit off the, the trees there. Yeah, yeah. The, the principle here is, it's it's and, and it is pretty straightforward. Honor the Lord from your wealth. If it belongs to God, then if He entrusts things to you, honor Him with that. And, uh, and one of the first ways we do that is the second clause there, from the first of all your produce, meaning that as we receive produce in, in, in an agrarian society, if it's a paycheck, if it's um, whatever it is, we want to honor God by giving to him first. And that goes with uh, New Testament teaching. For example, 1 Corinthians 16.2, where Paul talks about giving and uh, by setting 
are giving aside on the first day of the week. And of course, in, in this in this culture, that would have been uh, when the paycheck came or when whatever, uh, whatever arrangement was made, if it was a trade of some sort. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8 talks about giving generously, not under compulsion, um, that uh, this is not an obligation, uh, this is a, a privilege that we have as believers to give, but, but just the principle, we need to give to God first. I remember um, a lot of what I'm going to say here comes from a man that Lisa and I knew when we were back living in California. Um, I had met him before uh, we were married, and then uh, we had the privilege of sitting under some of his teaching. Uh, his name is Jim Rickard. Um, he has a, uh, a financial stewardship ministry. In fact, uh, his ministry does my taxes every year. Pastors' income taxes are very complicated for lots of reasons, and so his ministry for many years has done my uh, our income taxes. Um, but I remember a, a lot of this came from uh, just, as Lisa and I, uh, came together in marriage and, and were looking for wisdom. You know, we want to start our marriage off right, and, and Jim's material on finances and stewardship really helped us uh, in lots of ways. And um, so we, we, want to, we want to give to God first. That's the principle here. If it comes from him, we honor him simply by giving some back to him um, as a first priority. Okay. And uh, all of these, we, we could turn these into mini-series. We could talk about a whole study. Um, and I've, t- I've taught before on the difference between uh, Old Testament tithing and biblical giving and you know, some of the topics like that. So we're not going to get into all those details. But, um, but the principle here, give to God first. Second principle, wisdom and godliness are more valuable than money. This is another theme that we see in Proverbs. It's right here in chapter 3. If we just look down at verse 13... How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Now, here's the comparison. For its profit is better than the profit of silver and its gain than fine gold. Now, this is, this is a real test. Now, now remember, Solomon actually writing out of this experience, uh, Solomon was given the opportunity to ask God whatever he wanted. And he could have said, you know, I want to be the richest man alive. And he didn't, did he? He asked for wisdom so that he might rightly judge the people of God. And uh, God not only honored that request, but blessed him financially with great riches, with great prominence, with great um, uh, position in the world. But, but I, just do a reality check for a minute. If... If tomorrow morning you could multiply by 10 your net worth or double your maturity in Christ, what would you pick? That's what this is getting at. And if you're like me, you go, 10 times? Really? And all sorts of things start going in my head. And the challenge of this is, what do we really believe is more valuable? And the argument of, of the book of Proverbs, and it's, you know, it's throughout Scripture, but particularly in the book of Proverbs, is it is unmeasurably more valuable to be wise 
to be a godly person, to be a man or woman who is looking more like Jesus every day than it is to have all sorts of zeros when you pull up your banking app and look at your balance. It is. Yep. That's right. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And, and you know, you see it in um, uh, sports, you know, athletes that are paid ridiculous amounts of money. You see it in Hollywood. You see it in uh, lots of uh, businessmen, businesswomen. Um, I appreciate that. In fact, we're going to come back. I appreciate you bringing that because we're going to come back. We're going to talk about gambling and lotteries. That's going to be one of our points here probably in, in a couple of weeks. Um, but, yeah, it's true. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 10. Take my instruction and not silver. And knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. Verse 11. And all desirable things cannot compare with her. Whoa. That's, whoa. Now we're talking not just money. What can you possibly want? And what is it? If you could have anything. Fill it in. I want this. And tomorrow morning, it's in your driveway. Or maybe you're in a brand new house or... And you already said all desirable things cannot even compare with her, with wisdom. I'm just being real honest. That challenges me. I mean, I'm all for godliness. I'm all for Jesus. I'm all for being wise. Yes, 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 yes. But when you get down to... You know, that, that's a great check when purchases arise, when ideas come, when you see something in Best Buy, you know, anything like that. Try not to get too personal, guys, but uh, better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. How much better it is to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen above silver okay so wisdom and godliness are more valuable than money and and that you know that's not just like a comparison thing if you could have this if you have that this this should filter down into what i pursue every day too we're going to talk about the the money-centered money-centered life syndrome here in a minute but this principle should filter down okay what is my life about what do i pursue what do i present my my time and energy doing um you know we're talking about school debt a moment ago um think of Think of men and women that go and are teachers. And the people I know that are teachers, you know why they're doing that? Because they want to retire early, right? Is that what they want to do? No. They're doing that because they love children. And they want to be an influence for the gospel to a whole generation of people that need Christ. They're not doing it, you know, because they're going to get paid a whole lot. And so this principle filters down into daily pursuits and how we prioritize uh, our daily schedule. Okay. All right. Third principle. Your treasure reveals your heart. Your treasure reveals your heart. Now I'm using Matthew 5 language here. But flip over to Proverbs chapter 4. Let's start here and then we'll work our way over... uh, 
excuse me, um, we're using Matthew 6 language, excuse me. Um, but let's start with Proverbs chapter 4, and we'll work our way over. Someone want to read Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 for us? Nice and loud, please. Are you guys okay with that little word heart? Watch over your heart. That, that's the, the spiritual part of you. It's the real you, right? Mission Control Center. Um, yeah, and it says, watch over your heart with all diligence. Okay, why should you pay attention to who you really are, to the spiritual part of you? Well, Solomon says, because from it flow the springs of life. So there's a metaphor there, but what, what's, basically what's he saying? Just put it in your own words, please. A lot of what you think and do flows from the attitude of your heart. Okay. And what you have embraced in your heart over sometimes many years. And, uh, yeah. And it, uh, it drives your actions. It does. Basically. Yes. Yes, your heart drives your actions. We might say it like that. Or everything in your life flows out of your heart. Uh, the, the metaphor here, of course, is of a an underwater um, source of water that springs up into a fountainhead and then branches out into all these little channels of water that then irrigate the area. And Solomon says, "What's the source of all that? If we trace it all back, it's this it's this source, this this underground spring of water." He says, that, that's what your heart's like. That's what your life's like. Your heart is like that source of water. And it comes out and it flows into the valley. And everything in your life, the springs of life, come from and originate in your heart. Okay, now is that true with how we spend our money? And how we spend our time and what we value? Sure it is. Because he says there, that's where it all comes from. Now, now... Uh, you're going to hold your place there. This, this is probably worth turning to rather than just quoting. So hold your place there. Uh, flip to, to Matthew chapter 6, please. Jesus is going to pick up on this very same principle. Matthew chapter 6. He's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he's, uh, he's done the, the disciples' prayer, kind of taught them how to pray. He's talked about fasting, he's talked about um, praying and whatnot, and he turns to the corner to talk about treasure. Someone want to read 19 to 21? Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Hmm. You can look at it both ways, right? You can look, where am I putting my time? Where am I putting my energy? Where am I putting my life? Where am I putting my priorities? And that's a diagnostic about your heart, isn't it? And at the same time, he says, if you're setting your heart on spiritual treasure 
that's going to manifest itself in your life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when we think about finances, we think my finances say something about my heart, don't they? It says something about who I am and what I prioritize. And, and I think that's why you know, it's, it's not money in and of itself that's so important. It's that money is a reflection of the most important part about us. Okay, so that, that's convicting, that's indicting, but, but oh so needed um, to, to remember that. Okay, back to Proverbs. Here's another principle we need to think about. Learn to be content. Learn to be content. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3. Okay, so principle here, 10.3. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the cravings of the wicked. Um, so, so the first principle here is that God provides for our needs, doesn't he? God provides for our needs. That's what this, this text is getting at. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger. Um, but notice what it's contrasted with. He will reject the cravings of the wicked, the desires of the wicked. And, and, and that sets up a dichotomy that you will see in Scripture over and over and over again. And it's the dichotomy between needs and wants. Needs and wants. God will provide what you need. That's what the verse says. But he might reject, and in this case he's talking about the wicked, he will reject the, the evil desires, the evil wants of the unrighteous. Now, we might ask the question, and, and this is, you know, if we were to, we, we need to do man on the street. We really need to. We need to get, uh, and Rich Merrill, I know uh, Rich has done this actually for some of our video endeavors and some of his other things, is to get a camera, to get a mic, and to go down to the square and just ask questions, right? And just see what people say. And if we were to ask the average Granbarian, um, what are your needs, ma'am? What are your needs, sir? We would get all sorts of. All sorts of answers, wouldn't we? Um, if we were to go to the high school campus here, Granbury campus, and we were to grab a 17-year-old or a 15-year-old and say, what do you need? Our list might be very interesting, wouldn't it? It might be very long and involve electronics and other things like that. So j- just listen to this. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to 1 Timothy 6, 8. This is what the Bible says our needs are. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Is there an American alive that can appreciate that? Maybe some, I suppose, but that's really challenging, isn't it? That's how God defines what we need. That's the, the starting point. And so much of our mistakes and foolish decisions and wrong thinking and wrong emphasizing come from the fact that we define needs like like this, and God defines it like this. Okay, what do you think? Th- thoughts on that? You agree with that? I think we need to 
Okay. Let's let that's food for thought. Yeah, and that and that's I appreciate that, Rich, because um, this is where we start. God says human beings, ha- and, and this is where all of, all of us that had Psych 101 in college, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You remember that? Um, and that is that is infiltrated into every realm of American society. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But um, you know, Maslow was a psychologist, and he was the guy that says, well, if you don't love yourself, if you don't have esteem, if you don't have security, then you're not going to be a healthy human being. Well, what did First Timothy say? You know, God says human beings have basic needs, but they're not anything like what American culture or modern psychology or anything like that defines. Now, Rich is true that, uh, what Rich said is true in the sense that there may be other things that would be can I say convenient, um, helpful? But if you think about it, um, am I going to be able to live if I don't have a vehicle? Is God going to provide for me if I don't? You know, so that's where, that's where it, this is challenging, isn't it? This is really, really challenging. We've got to come back and say, do we really believe this? Yes. That's true. Um, you know, the, the way the way I was taught some of this was that um, people need to walk with God, and beyond that, God decides what they need, and He provides what they need. Um, Oh my. Yes, I think they contribute to the problem a little bit. Yes. Um, in in fact, and I don't I don't want to step on any toes. I don't know how many of you are marketing advertising people, but um, good night. Uh, I don't know that you can be successful. Uh, well, I suppose you could. I think most people that are striving to be successful in selling something have to tweak slightly the biblical theology of contentment that we're reading about here. So, uh, yes, I, I often say, um, well, um, commercials that happen during football are really pretty lame because they have one tagline, you can't be happy without Budweiser. You know, you can't hang out and have a good time without Bud Light. You know, it's just, it's very, it's the same message. They do different commercials every season. It's the same message. So anyway, I'm getting off. Come on back here. Contentment is learning to be satisfied with what God supplies. 
And I thought that goes back to what Rich said, which is a very good definition of contentment. Contentment is learning to be satisfied with what God supplies. Proverbs 10, 22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. We looked at that last time. What that means is I understand that what I have comes from the hand of God, and therefore I learn to be content with what he supplies to me. Now, that's not saying you know there isn't a place to work hard or move up the corporate ladder or to build up your savings account or to save for a purchase. It's not saying that any of those things are bad. Contentment doesn't mean I just stay where I'm at and I do nothing. Contentment is about your heart before the Lord and the condition you happen to be in. And if we want to move out of that in terms of development or progress or saving or purchasing or career development, or that's great. Let's do that. But we do it out of a heart of contentment before the Lord in terms, in terms of who we are, where we're at right now, not out of a discontentment and a frustration and, a, and an anger and a... You see the difference? Um, in fact, mark it. Um, any financial purchase you pursue that does not arise out of a contented heart is probably the wrong thing. Because I know how I'm at, I'm like when I'm not content. I can justify all sorts of things. I, I can, I can, you know, figure out all sorts of ways. Contentment in the heart is the qualification for thinking about, okay, do I need to purchase this or do I need to save for that or do I need to go, you know, address that issue? Um, and that's, that's not true with finances too. Think of all the bad decisions we make in all sorts of areas when we're not content before the Lord with our circumstances. You know, it's not unique to a financial purchase. It's, tr- it's true in life. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, In any and every circumstance, I have found the secret. And we go, Paul. Paul found the secret of being content. What is it, Paul? Verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What does, that, what does that mean? Notice, first of all, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not about your team winning the sports game. The guy in the stands that's got Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, my team's going to win. That's not the authorial intent of the verse. It's not about football. Football was not invented when Paul wrote this verse. Sorry, is that, is that too personal? Um <laughs> That verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is about contentment. It's saying, I'm looking around, I'm looking at my checkbook, I'm looking at my house, I'm looking at my car that doesn't work, or or worse, you know, the empty pantry, the medical diagnosis. The, and that verse is saying, if you have Christ, it's okay. Because he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. He's able to work in that moment. And if you have him, you have all that you need. That's what the verse is about. So we learn to be content. Um, and don't want yourself to death. Um, I, uh, I had the privilege of going through catechism when I was a kid. I was raised in a Lutheran church. And junior high rolled around, you went to catechism. Two years of school for church stuff. 
And um, our pastor, who was a wonderful, godly man, I still see him every now and then, um, and he, he personally taught these classes. And I remember him, I still remember this, he, he went through the Ten Commandments. And I, I don't know how you guys are, but when I was that age, the Ten Commandments sort of made sense, but I kind of stumbled over the these and thous, and at least my Bible had these and thous, and, and coveting wasn't really, you know, I didn't talk like that, and... And so he, he had a way of presenting the Ten Commandments in language that a 13-year-old like me could understand. And when he got to the last one, that's how he translated it. Don't want yourself to death. Right? You shall not covet your neighbor's... Do you know the Ten Commandments? Have you heard of them? You shall not covet your neighbor's... Do we need to go to Exodus 20 and read this? Yeah, yeah. Do not covet your neighbor's stuff. Okay, his house, his wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his donkey, his ox. Okay, you remember that? And I loved how my former pastor said it. Don't want yourself to death. That's what the commandment means. Don't go around wanting, 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 wanting. Be content. Don't want yourself to death. Okay, so we learn to be content. And uh, that's another principle. How about this one? Avoid the money-centered life syndrome. And that's our friend Jim Rickard. That's his language that I'm borrowing from him. Look at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 28, verse Now, this is going to be a fun one to, to huddle up and talk about together. Proverbs 28, 22. I'll read it and you tell me what it means, okay? A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. Hmm. So, so here, here's the thing. What does Solomon mean, the evil eye? You know, sometimes we say that person gave me the evil eye. Well, that's not what Solomon is talking about here. So what does it mean, the, the evil eye? My translation says greedy. Okay. All right. So um, evil eye is more of a, a literal rendering of the Hebrew. So Rich's version is trying to take that, that literalness and turn it into the, the, um, the sense of what it would have meant to the, the Hebrew audience. Okay, so I like that. Any other ideas? We got greed on the table. You agree with that? Okay. Okay. All he thinks about it is his money, his pursuit. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, that, that's the. It, it's it's um. It really speaks. I mean, you know, an eye. The the eye represents in, in the Hebrew anthropology. You know, we think about how did ancient people that lived in the day of Solomon, how did they think about uh, things like this? And, and the eye is, is somewhat of a metaphor for your focus or your intent or your purpose. Okay, you got it? And an evil eye would mean there's something wrong about this man's focus or emphasis. Okay, you got it now? That, that's, that, we kind of fumble through the Hebrew. There's something wrong with the focus. There's something wrong with the purpose or intent. And, and what is it? He hastens after wealth. 
And so that goes to, to Rich's translation. There, there's a greediness. There's, there's a, a coveting or a wanting that's happening. Um, and I think what Solomon is getting at here is there are people that take the pursuit of wealth and they put it in a priority that it shouldn't have. It's really about a priority or a focus. And, and that leads to just kind of thinking about evaluation. You know, is this a need or is this a want? Um, we think about a house, a car, an investment, uh, a purchase. And do you, do you guys have a way that you kind of evaluate those? You know, something comes up, you and the husband, you and the wife, you and the kids, you know, we need this, we want this. Do you have a way you evaluate that? And what we want to avoid is putting purchases, finances, wealth in a priority, in a, in a place of prominence that God did not intend it to have. Um, so one of the questions we can ask is, and I, I showed you the um, where this comes from earlier, is it a need or a want? That's a great way to start, right? Is it a need or a want? Um, Yes. Right. Yes. It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Because happiness ultimately is living within those needs, mm-hmm. and even if you have not a lot of needs, you can still be happy if you're right. content in living within them. Yeah. Because once you get outside of them, then that's where you got caught up. Right. Of, uh, right. Yeah. That's very good. No, that's good. Living within your means. Yeah. Very good. Yes. That's good. That's good. Right. To share with those in need. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah.
Well, that's good, and I appreciate what both of you said because when I asked the question, you know, do you have a, a way that you evaluate purchases, both of you gave biblical principles. You know, Jack gave the principle of living within your means, and Regine gave the principle of, you know, thinking about giving to those in need, and both of those come right out of Scripture. So other, other and let, let's just roundtable this for a little bit, other principles that you use to evaluate so you avoid the sort of money center, you know, I've got my focus on the wrong thing, right? How do you how do you battle that by having ways that you evaluate purchases and saving and investments and other biblical principles? Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, in fact, we're going to have a whole talk about debt because one of the things Solomon says is that uh, when you enter a relationship of debt, you're in bondage to that creditor. Yeah, that's the, biblical, that's the Bible's language for it, okay? So we'll, we'll come back and circle back to that because it's a good principle. Other things? Yeah. So working with integrity, you know, and so if I, if there's a purchase or an opportunity, I think, okay, do I have to compromise biblical integrity to do what I want to do? Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yes. Is it the wisest way to spend it? Yeah. Okay. Is it the wisest way to spend it? Yeah. Very good. Good job. Good job.
bumped that means all the way up to the limit of what they made. Mm -hmm. And I had an old guy tell me, Lou, I'm half what you make. So his means was 1500 to 3000 mm -hmm. And I think if, you, if we learn to look at that, look at that stuff, we can't just drive it up immediately as, as soon as our income starts to rise. Right. Your means really aren't limited to the last penny that you make. Mm -hmm. It's a little lower. That's right. There's a lot of biblical wisdom in this room. Good job, guys, yeah. Well, let me pray, and we'll put a comment in our notes, and uh, we'll come back next time and continue our study. Uh, Father, thank you that you have um, graced us with such wisdom from your word. and uh, this wisdom, We need this wisdom, Lord. We need your word to um, bring self-control to our hearts, to change our thinking, uh, to attenuate our desires and our wants, um, to honor you because uh, all things belong to you and honoring you with our wealth is the most important thing that we do uh, with this. So thank you, Lord, and thank you for uh, the sharing that has gone on today. We can learn from each other as we've taken biblical truth and tried to wrestle with those principles and lay them out in our families. Uh, Lord, make us faithful in these things and uh, make us generous and, um, and make us content uh, knowing that uh, to have Christ is to have everything and uh, to walk with him and to know his provision uh, is sufficient for our needs. Lord, thank you, and we pray that you would just apply these things to our hearts in whatever way that uh, might be needed today. In Christ's name, amen.